0: Good morning everybody. It is great to have you all with us today. My name is Alex and I'm the student minister here at Andover Baptist Church and it's a real privilege to be speaking to you today as we start this brand new series all about the soundtrack for our soul. And today I'm going to be kicking off by looking at the idea of the connection between what we worship and what we prioritize. I want to start by asking you all a question today and this is a question for anyone whether you are a person of faith or not. Do you consider yourself a worshipper? Do you consider yourself a worshipper? We may often think of the idea of worship as something reserved only for religious people or religious practices, but actually we can worship anything in life, can't we? We could worship people, you know, celebrities, organizations, money, Power, pleasure, ideologies, and of course, religious concepts. In his book called The Air I Breathe, Louis Giglio, who is a a pastor in America, defines worship really well. He says that worship is our response to what we value most. It's our response to what we value most. And the word worship literally means to give worth or value to something. And it's often captured by an expression of respect maybe honor or reverence to something or someone. And if we think about this practically, what we place our value and our worship on in our lives, they can really easily be reflected by what we spend our time, our affection, our money, our energy, and our loyalty on. And as a result, the things that we worship are likely to have more of our attention and our focus. These are gonna be the things that we prioritize in our lives, aren't they? So I wonder, what are the things that you place most value on in your life? What are the things that you worship? Maybe we've never really thought about this before. But if you follow a trail of what you give your time, your money and your energy to, I wonder where it would lead. What does that point to in your life? Now, if you're here today as a Christian or maybe a person of faith, you might be thinking, well, the obvious answer is God, isn't it? That's, the, that's where those things should point to in my life. But we know that reality isn't always as straightforward, as it? There are many things that compete for our attention, our affection, and ultimately our worship in life. Things that mean God often gets the back seat, always pushed further down the priority list. And if you're here today and you're not Christian, or maybe you're somebody connecting with us who's exploring faith, I still think this is really important for you too. And I would invite you to consider if the things that you worship in your life bring you satisfaction. And actually, I think that's a question we can all think about and hold in our minds this morning. First off, I want to share a brief story with you all about a memorable experience I had where I was really blown away by an atmosphere of worship. You might not be surprised to hear this wasn't in a religious setting, it wasn't in church or anything. And in fact, it took place a few years ago uh, when my husband and I, we were really fortunate to be given some tickets to go and see the band Guns and Roses. I think we had more fans actually at the earlier service this morning, didn't we? (laughs) But yes, whatever your musical tastes are, we were very excited about this opportunity. Uh, the gig was going to take place in the Olympic Stadium in London. You may have heard of it. I think it's now known as the London Stadium. And if there's any West Ham supporters here or watching, I think that's their home stadium now. It's a massive venue. It's got a capacity of over 66,000 people or so, which is just amazing. And on the day of this concert, we, I don't know if you've had this experience. We had a bit of a nightmare journey. Everything was seemed to be against us. We had traffic because we decided stupidly to drive through London. Uh, We just had loads of things crop up that meant that we were really late and pretty stressed out, to be honest. So much so, I remember having to get to the car park by the stadium and literally sprint into the stadium And it was a bit eerie because there was actually nobody there. We could hear the sort of music in the background, but everyone had already been let into the venue. So we didn't really get a sense of how many people were there. We hadn't had to queue up and and wait. So it was a bit of an odd experience from that moment. And I also hadn't really considered the kind of tickets we'd been given because they were amazing tickets. And I didn't really realise this until we were let into the venue. And I remember we kind of like ran into the stadium I was completely floored by the scene and the atmosphere that greeted us. I remember I just froze. The impact of the environment really hit me. And it felt like I'd run out onto the stage. Luckily, that isn't what happened. (laughs) You'll be pleased to hear that would have been a bit awkward and embarrassing. But we were so fortunate because our tickets meant we were right up close to the band and I hadn't really prepared myself for that experience. Not only that, though, where we were in the stadium, we could look around and see all those rows of thousands and thousands of people just filled. People were moving and singing, clapping and cheering, and just enjoying the music and the atmosphere. And of course, the music itself was just powerful and overwhelming. I don't know if you've had that kind of experience before, like being at a gig or a concert, maybe a show or a sports match. That's quite popular, isn't it? It's going on to football matches and things like that. But the atmosphere can really be electric, can't it? And so as uh, we were there enjoying the, the music and the environment at this gig, I felt so moved by what I saw and was experiencing. There was something incredibly special about seeing just that sheer volume of people gathered together, being completely captivated and focused by one thing, all the crowds there giving their attention, all their attention, energy to supporting this band. And I remember thinking, this is worship. It was amazing. This was people being utterly devoted towards something. And in the same moment, I also felt a sadness because I knew in my heart that this is how I should worship God, but I often don't. And if you have been in that kind of environment before, I think also one of the most striking things is that sense of freedom that you can experience, isn't it? That sense of freedom of someone just in the crowd. You can just express yourself. You you can just um, let your emotion out. People really don't hold back, do they, in those kinds of environments. And I can't help but think that somehow we were made to be this way, that there is something built within humanity that we were made to worship. Going back to the book I referenced earlier by Louis Giglio, he actually says that worship is the activity of the human soul. And actually, this is nothing new. People have been kind of talking and writing about this for a long time. And we have examples, don't we, throughout human history of people and civilizations making extravagant acts of worship. We're going to actually hear about that in a little uh, while. But I guess through all of that, the real question is, what were we made? To worship and to explore this together today i want to look at a story that we find in the new testament parts of the bible it's about a man called paul and paul was actually one of the earliest leaders of the christian faith and he had an amazing journey an amazing story of faith amazing uh, life actually he traveled around parts of what we know as the mediterranean and asia and he built up brand new communities of christians which at the time around 2000 years ago was a brand new movement of people of these people called G- who were Jesus followers and Paul actually made many journeys in his life and on one of his trips he goes to the city of Athens in Greece and we know it today don't we it still exists today now Athens is an interesting place it had been kind of the center of the southern greek empire when the greeks were sort of the, the world empire at the time but now In Paul's time, the Roman Empire had taken over. However, Athens was still a really significant place. It was actually a hub of sort of intellect and culture and religion. And one of the most remarkable and distinct things about Athens is that it was home to an incredible number of gods. It was actually a place of worship. The city itself was full of various temples and statues, all built in honor of different Greek gods and goddesses. I think some pictures are up on the screen. Now these were Greek, uh, Greek gods and goddesses, but as some of you might know, when the Romans took over, they actually inherited and kind of stole lots of these, uh, these gods and goddesses and renamed them. So they really had the same sort of significance in Paul's time. In fact, uh, Athens was so unique that one ancient historian wrote that there were thousands of gods in Athens, so many that it was more common to come across a god than a person in the city. There's, in fact, there were statues to so many. There were significant ones, ones you might have heard of, like the goddess Athena, the goddess of war and wisdom, and that's a statue of her up on the screen. She's thought to be the patron and protector of the city, hence the name Athens. There were other temples uh, dedicated to gods like Ares, the god of war, Apollo, who's the goddess of like, music and poetry, amongst other things. And there were so many other sort of gods and deities, ones that may have been less familiar as well. And by gods, it's important, isn't it, to remember that although the Greco-Roman world personified their gods, each god or goddess actually represented something different, like love, power, wealth, war, wisdom, harvest, or health. Those are just some examples. Now, I've never personally been to Athens. I'd love to go. Maybe some of you here today or listening or watching have had the opportunity to visit But from pictures I've seen of it, the remnants of that ancient city are just incredible. I could only imagine the scenes that Paul would have encountered when he went there. Apparently from what I read and researched for today, the road from the port in Athens, this is where Paul would have arrived, the road that goes from the port all the way up to the city would have been lined with all of these statues and altars and temples, all these gods and goddesses. So Paul would have got an incredible first impression. Then he would have walked kind of through the streets up to this massive high point of the city overlooking the land where you'd find the sort of classic Greek ancient architecture and buildings, amphitheaters, beautiful temples, and of course, more of these idols scattered around the city, stone idols of these gods and goddesses, a clear representation of what the people worshiped in the city. So actually, I think we can say that it was truly a place of worship. People would have gone there and visited those different uh, statues and temples to worship what they thought was important. And if I'm honest, I think if I was Paul, I would have been just completely overwhelmed, a bit like I was at the Guns N' Roses concert. I would have been amazed and in awe of this human expression of worship and adoration. I think I'd have been in amazement at the lengths that people go to when they place value or worth on something. But (laughs) Paul's response is different. And in the account that we have, we can read it in a book called Acts in the New Testament part of the Bible. We're told that Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. You know, Paul's been walking around the city, he's seen all that is there, and he's heard people obsessing and talking about the latest ideas and ideologies. He's seen all these idols and statues, and he's even come across an altar that's built in honor of an unknown God. And what's interesting, however, is that Paul recognizes that the people in this city are worshipers. And in fact, he calls them very religious people. But he is saddened, isn't he? He's saddened to see that the worship appears chaotic and misguided. The people there seem to worship everything and anything even this unknown God. And Paul senses that perhaps they don't really know what they're worshipping. They're putting value on things that seem futile to Paul, because to him, these statues of gods and goddesses are just that, they're statues. They can't respond when people worship them, when people come to them with their pleas and prayers. They can't really give anything back. And it's a very one-way relationship for the people. And yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The people pour their time, their money, and their energy into them. That's why they've built these incredible statues and idols. But Paul is so moved by his visit to Athens that actually he ends up addressing the city council, Paul, if you know anything about him, we've read about him, he seems to get himself into these situations where he meets important people, he addresses crowds and places, but he often has a really clear message to tell the people. And on this occasion, he's invited into the high court of the city itself, and there he speaks to the crowd and he says this, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And here we get to really the crunch point. And and Paul is bold here and he says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations and that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. And I love this bit. Paul says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You know, Paul is, a, I think, a really intelligent uh, person. And I love what he says at the end. He's quoting some of their own philosophers and writers back to them. They would have understood what he was talking about. And although Paul is distressed by what he has seen in Athens he also sees that in the hearts of these people, there is a genuine desire to worship. There is a searching for God. And Paul believes that human beings were made to worship something greater than themselves, but not a thousand different gods, just one God. You know, and as Paul says so clearly, this God doesn't require anything of us. He doesn't need us to build fancy temples and statues. He doesn't require us to prove ourselves to him. But instead, this God just desires one thing, that we seek him with our hearts. And Paul says, doesn't he, if we do this, then we might just discover that God is actually not that far from us at all. So why should we do this? Why should the people of Athens worship this one God? Well actually Paul is clear again isn't it because this God is the giver of life. He's the one who made the entire universe and he made each of us. He's the reason we're alive and on this earth. Isn't that worth adoration and worship? Doesn't that kind of God deserve our attention more than other things? You know, I wonder, we might be sitting here today thinking this is an interesting story about an ancient city, the city of Athens, but maybe it's nothing really like our Western world or the culture we live in today. Maybe it doesn't really relate to our lives. After all, you know, we don't kind of worship statues or idols, build temples, and not in this culture anyway. We don't have an altar to an unknown god in our lives, or do we? Where does that trail? Of money time and energy lead to in our lives what does it point to what really sits on the throne of our worship you know in many ways I think that that ancient city of Athens is a great symbol for our world today there are a myriad aren't there of things competing for our attention and our worship we don't have to go far to see that And we may not see them as statues or idols, but they are there. And there is a war on for our worship. And in a war, if you don't know what you're fighting for, then you can easily lose your way. And the reality is that for all of us, we have to navigate through life, and it's not easy, is it, at times. We're constantly pulled in different directions, enticed to worship different things, And that's even more so the case in a consumerist culture like ours. You know, we're encouraged to worship money and power, seek after a better job, career. We worship sports teams and celebrities, even our social media status. And whilst these things aren't bad things in themselves, are they? If they become the object of our worship, then they're just gonna demand more and more of us, more of our money, more of our energy, more of our time and our affection but I want to come back to that question that I kind of posed earlier on. What can they give us in return? Are these things really bringing us satisfaction? Are they there for us when things don't go well in life? Do they provide us with meaning and purpose? Do they pursue us with love and affection, even when we don't realize it or even accept it? Can they give us life? And I would ask, can they really take the place of God in our lives? You know, worship is important, isn't it? Whether you agree or not with me today that we were kind of made to worship, what we worship really matters. Because there's a a kind of truth here, isn't it? That what we worship, we often imitate. And what we imitate, we become. So it's really important for our lives, isn't it? And let's not waste our worship it is something precious so let's give our worship back to the one who made us to be worshipers in the first place to the god who knows us better than we know ourselves and who loves us and who cares for us and who made a way for us to be in relationship with him through his son jesus and this isn't a one-way relationship this is a two-way Relationship. You know, we've had an amazing example of that, hearing from Lisa and giving her testimony this morning that is living proof of that relationship. I don't know where you are in your journey of life or faith. I don't know what or who you worship. But I just want to say that from the bottom of my heart and from my experience, that when we worship God above all else, we get back so much more than we could ever give because God really is the giver of life. I don't know anything or anyone else that you can say that of. You know, one of the best ways we can express our worship, and that's what this series is all about, is to sing songs together. Just like when people go to concerts or football matches. And just like that illustration I gave at the beginning of the Guns N' Roses concert, There's something so powerful when we gather together and we lose ourselves in singing and in praise. Because when we worship in this way, it focuses our hearts and our minds on what is important. It focuses our priorities on God. You know, we can't say that God is the most important thing in our lives if we aren't expressing it or demonstrating it in any way because other things will easily come in and take his place if we let them. But when we express our worship to God, we are defiant. We're making a stand for what is important in our lives. And when the battle is raging around us and we gather together to sing songs aloud in worship, something incredible happens. And we're going to have that opportunity in just a few moments time. The band are going to come up again and play some songs of worship. And I really hope it will just open our hearts to God and remind us of what is important in our lives. Whether you're here today as someone who believes in God and is a follower of Jesus or not, as we sing these songs, just let our hearts think over and reflect on what really matters in our lives. And above all, you know, when we worship God, God isn't passive It's not a one-way thing. He's active. He wants to meet with us. So don't be surprised if God responds to you and speaks to you. So first, let's pray together. Loving God, we just thank you for your word today. For that reminder that throughout human history, we have been people who worship. God, you know each of us. You know where we're at in life and what we're going through. You know the things that have our worship and our attention. And you know whether these are good for us or not. So Lord, I ask you just meet with us now as we worship you. As we open our hearts to you, would you speak to us powerfully? Would you draw our attention and focus to you? And remind us that you are the giver of life. You're the one who knows us, who loves us and cares for us, whether we are aware of it or not. And may we have a sense of your presence here with us today. Amen.